Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. It's no punchline. It's no, I don't, I'm not writing punchlines in it. I'm telling the story first. And then I start thinking about the parts that could be funny. But as I'm telling the story, I'm telling the dry story and it goes back to when you're not being funny, be interesting. Because whatever you say that's interesting eventually turn funny because you jovial anyway. Hot breath. Hey, what's up Hot breath verse? Welcome back to the Hot Breath Podcast, your weekly guide to comedy mastery. I'm, of course, your host, comedian Joel Byers, and you know what time it is. Hot Breath. That is right, hot brethren and sistren. Welcome back. Today, we're doing a throwback episode in honor of my guest, who is in the finals of NBC's Bring the Funny. This is one of the most underrated comedians in the game with over two decades of experience, a true master of the craft. And I want to encourage all you to go vote for him to actually win this show. He's had a lot of TV appearances, but this one seems to be getting the most traction. So let's band together. And if anything, just reach out to him directly on social media and let him know how helpful these episodes are. I posted his most recent episode with us last week, and we're throwing it back even farther now to 2017. In his hotel room, this is the first time we're meeting, and he goes into starting comedy in prison and talking about that experience in ways I haven't heard him do anywhere else. He also gives great insight into comedian etiquette, in the green room, as well as just the actual art and comparing comedy to like like a fine painter like Van Gogh and Bach as a musician. It's really, it's really insightful and my guess can be a little scary. As you heard in last week's episode, at one point I am like, dude, you're scaring me. Um, there's a lot of funny moments in that one that I'll, I'll link that episode in the show notes. But this one he also breaks down I've seen this gentleman live several times. He is a master storyteller, and I dive headfirst into his technique behind storytelling in a really in-depth look. So there's a lot of good nuggets in here. Please do reach out to me. Let me know what you enjoyed about it. I am going to uh, be taping my special. If you're listening to this the week of, I appreciate you, all you uh, subscribers out there. If you're listening the week of, I'm taping my comedy special Sunday, September 15th, right here in Atlanta, Georgia. If you're interested, I'll link tickets in the show notes. And I will be in Greenville, South Carolina this upcoming weekend, the uh, 13th and 14th at the Comedy Zone there, putting some finishing touches on my, my um, taping set I'm going to be doing that Sunday. So if you're in Greenville or in the area, definitely come out. I want to connect. A lot of you have reached out to me from that city. I really love to meet you in person. So this really is a comedy education platform. It really is a place for us to all come together, comedy fans and comedians alike, to really just laugh and learn with each other. So interaction 
is the best way. However, if you do want to go the extra mile, sharing this with people actually will help. Sharing this on your social media, sharing a review on iTunes. A lot of you have told me you found this through just searching on iTunes. Writing reviews on iTunes helps other people to find it. And it's very quick. If you're in the app, you can just simply click it there. There's also a share feature right here in the app you're listening to on any podcast platform, podcast app that really helps us out. So all that being said, it's time to rumble. It's time to get into this one. This is a fun one also because you can hear the evolution of like my interviewing style. And this one's a little more hesitant, but we still get a lot of great information out out of one of the greatest comedians alive today. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for your valuable time. Let us get into this, and I will see you in the outro. As we always do here, there's only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with Ali Sadiq. So you're going to go to sleep? Because he's an old man. You sleep before every show? Every, every single show. And when it makes sense to rest before you go on to, to exert all the energy you're going to exert telling stories. Well, if you could, please, sir, say your uh, full name to the microphone. Um, my full name is Sadiq Nasir Abdullah Ali, but you can call me Ali Sadiq. <laughs> I will call you Ali Sadiq. Welcome to the Hot Breathiverse. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. It's been a pleasure to watch you work at Uptown this weekend. Absolutely amazing here. Um, just starting off, this is an Atlanta-based podcast, so kind of like maybe what's what's your background with Atlanta? Atlanta has a very special place because this is the first um, TV show that I ever did was here, actually. BT's Comic View. Oh, okay. Center stage. Ricky Smiley um, was the host. Um, and that was the first, that was the first thing. The first time. That was 1999. Wow. Yeah, I just got out of prison in 97. So in 99, I was doing comic, I did comic view for the first time. And I remember I walked out. This is when before dudes was wearing pants that came right there. Mm-hmm. I, I had them first. Shins. Yeah, I had them first. You, you, people go back and watch it. And I had some Prada shoes on and dudes <laughs> wasn't wearing them in 99. And I know they wasn't. So <laughs> but I, I was fly. And I and I came out and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much doing this for everybody who's ever been incarcerated, who thought they could, you know, would come out and not do nothing different. That was my first. Mm-hmm. That was the first initial statement. Nineteen ninety nine BT, and f- since then I've been doing it for the same thing, for the same reasons. Um, because I'm a cat that you know was incarcerated, and now I'm on Comedy Central. So, from convict to Comedy Central, basically. And, and as a convict, that's actually where you started comedy, right? Yeah, I basically started doing social commentary in prison. It wasn't really stand up. It was like me saying jovial and funny and interesting stuff about what we were staying at, you know, basically how mostly everybody starts. Um, but I, I don't consider, I don't prescribe to that class clown thing. Like mm-hmm. people are like, well, you know, were you a class clown? No, not really. You know, it was just, you know, if I said something jovial or funny, if this, that's what it was. It wasn't intent. It wasn't any intent. It was like, oh, you know, because you're a kid and you're just saying, 
whatever. So in you prison, were 19 when you got yeah, in there. I was I got busted at 19, four days after I turned 19. And you know, I would just say whatever, you know, and that was only after Martin went off. Cause at first mm-hmm. I was, you know, on close custody and I was acting out all of Martin because they didn't have a TV gotcha. where I worked at. So then when Martin went off, it kind of forced me into having some more <laughs> material. <laughs> you would just go around, like, would people congregate and, like, end up watching you almost like a show format? No, nah, it's kind of like it's your conversation buddy. More. You sitting there and you say something funny, mm-hmm. everybody can pretty much hear you talking because you're in a day room. It's, right. like, it's not like it's a lot of privacy. So if you happen to say something funny or you having an argument with somebody, you say something funny, then people will start laughing at what you say. Or you get up and you just make a loud statement. Like my my number one thing, I would get up every morning and say, I don't know why y'all mad because ain't nobody going home today. <laughs> and that was, that was the truth. You know, wasn't nobody going anywhere. So people would be fighting and doing all that, being uptight because they was mad about not going home. Mm-hmm. You signed for 30 years. You not going nowhere for like 30 years. So why you keep looking at the calendar? Because I, 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 had, I had a 15-year sentence, man. I wasn't Ooh. paying attention. For drug trafficking, right? Yeah. yeah. Delivery of a controlled substance, as they say. I'm, man, you get 15 years, you just doing it. You ain't looking at the dates. You're like, yo, in your mind, you think, okay, I'm going to get out when I'm 33. What else I got? Yeah. <laughs> what else yeah, I have? Man. You know what I mean? Would you be funny as almost like a defense mechanism? Nah. I didn't know if it I was like, I didn't, just make I didn't, them laugh instead of attack you or how nah, violent. I, man, I'm fucking violent, man. I come. See, that's I the thing. You. That's the thing about prison and, and, and the thing about people being a certain size. I am the exact same fucking size as Floyd Mayweather. So it doesn't matter how big you are. If you run up on Floyd Mayweather, he's going to beat your ass. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And in the streets, this is what I understood going into prison. Most of these people have violent crimes where they committed a crime against somebody with something. Gun, knife. I came up boxing. Like, I'm a good-ass oh. fighter, so I don't give a mm. fuck about you with your hand, with, with your, how big you are. Because in prison, I don't have no fucking weight class. Ain't no, ain't no, oh, you're a middleweight. I'm a, yo, you say some out of line to me, I'm going to bust your fucking head open. And if, if it go past that, I'm going to try to fucking take your life. Cause I was like that in the streets. So it, it and I and I and I make it uh, understand when like like I'm at the show, the dudes, I'm talking about prison dudes like, yo, man, you was in the outer ran through you. And I already know that mm. people say that because they looking at me and I'm a small frame dude. And I'm like, yo, I would have probably killed you. Cause on the real, just sort of simple fact that you saying it now, you didn't trigger something in my head. Cause I'm like, yo, man, why do people think in their minds that Cause I've had this question asked to me a lot. Well, would you do it as a defense? No. I say, what would what would the defense? I said, this is not no fucking Richard Pryor sketch story. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, Richard Pryor said he started doing um stand up in prison. What fucking stretch of time did Richard Pryor do? What, what was that? What was that documented that? I didn't seen a lot of shit about Richard oh, Pryor. Yeah. I've never seen him talk about he was locked up for what extent of the time in his life. So in the seriousness of it, I be telling people, yo, man, I was a lot of shit before I was a comic. And none of it had nothing to do with singing loud in choirs and passing out fucking cookies to kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? 
not those type of cookies. Yeah. But <laughs> the thing is, like out here, it's a like like I, I try to explain to people, it's a hard transition to be in a society that doesn't go by rules. And like people are, are so disrespectful out here in this world because there's no immediate consequences. See, in prison, when I was there, there's immediate consequences. If somebody say something disrespectful to me, I'm going to deal with that that day. Judge, jury, executioner. And you, gonna, you, you say something out of line to me and see, don't I fuck you up. Now, I'm kind of pigeon-held because I have children. I have offspring, and I want to be there for my offspring. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says something out of the box now, I kind of let you ride, and it depends on how severe I take it. But with comedy, I take a lot of shit. Don't fucking come in the green room if I don't ask you to come in the green room. Don't take a water. Don't eat shit. Don't, because this is not your fucking green room. This is my green room for this weekend, and then next week is somebody else's green room. And as a comic, this is what I want to say to young comics. Yo, man, you put us in a position sometimes. Like, I was going to slap the shit out this this white boy in, um, in what's that right outside Detroit? Um, the, 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 the funny bone. Oh, Toledo. Toledo. Okay. I went to my hotel, because it's right across the street. I come in, so I know the time in my head who's all going up. So I come back right on time, about to go up, and I'm ready now. I go, there's some guy doing a guest spot. So I go ask, I said, um, who okay this guest spot? So I'm asking everybody. The GM said she didn't okay it. So the DJ decided he want to put up one of his friends. Mm. But I'm ready to fucking go up. So the guy comes, oh, I didn't, I didn't see you. So, you know, X, Y, and Z. So, so that means go up because you didn't see me? Because you didn't ask? So his, this, this, his friend is sitting there, and I'm, and I'm explaining to him, hey, man, don't ever do that. So yeah, I get this long fucking email. And this is what I don't like about pussy-ass fucking social media. Don't fucking email me. I was standing right there when you was talking. When I was talking, so his fucking friend emailed me this long shit about, well, you was a young comic before. I wasn't a fucking young disrespectful comic. I've never went on a stage and didn't ask the headliner, could I get a guest spot or get, I, never. Mm -hmm. I've never walked in any, let me, the rules of comedy for all the fucking young comics that's listening. The green room is for the headliner. It's not for the fucking feature. It's not for the fucking host. It's for the headliner. If I want to be in that bitch doing cocaine and heroin and, and fucking doing backflips on a goddamn St. Bernard until I go on stage, that's what the fuck I want to do. I want to do it in private. Mm -hmm. If I want to sit there with, just sit there naked with my shoes on and fought until it's time for me to go on stage, that's actually proper comedy etiquette. Because 18 years, I've never, I performed with Damon Williams a whole weekend. I never walked in the green room at my fucking home club, mm. Houston Improv, my home. Mm -hmm. I never stepped foot in that green room until 
he sent his man and his man said, yo, Damon said he won't holler at you, you know? So I, then I went in, that was Sunday night. I worked with him all weekend. I went in Sunday night, last show, after the show, I went in and we had a conversation for the first time. Wow. And I'm featuring. I never went in his room, in his green room. That's his space. You reference social media, you call it pussy ass social media. How do you feel about these young comedians blowing up off social media? Hold on. Let me just go ahead and say, uh-huh. he, he's very opinionated about that. And again, this is again a, a moment where we learn the difference in time. Okay. What's happening. Okay. Just going to give him that back because he didn't have that the whole time. <laughs> it came like year 12 <laughs> when his social media came out. Go That's ahead. Billy Sorrell's the aside there. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I when I when I say pussy ass social media, I'm not even speaking about comedy. I'm talking about people who decide that they gonna write something on your fucking social media, a long fucking paragraph mm-hmm. about how they felt and they was in your face, and you could have said that then. You know why you didn't say that then? Because I would have knocked your motherfucking head off because you know what you were saying was fucking stupid. You know what I'm saying? So social media as far as comedy, let's separate the two. Social media, a lot of times, it's like a text. Like I could text you something. Do you know the tone of the text? Do you know the voice of the text? So give you an example. I'm on, I, I took a picture on social media and people decide they want to say whatever they want to say about social media. Somebody gave a reference of what they felt like something looked like. And then I just simply, on the same social media, I just simply say, hey, I don't know you and I don't play like that. Period. Then you decide, because you a good distance away from me, that you will say something back. Well, I said whatever I want to say. And I just said, okay. Because in my mind, I fucking scanned your face and I'm going to run into you eventually, one of these days. And I'm going to ask you about that. And I'm and and best believe I am 160 pounds. I'm 5'7. And you can say whatever you want to say when I'm not directly in your face. Mm-hmm. But when when I walk up on you, I'm a very formidable fucking opponent. Because in my mind, no. Regular individual in the streets. I'm a dude that was in a place that was filled with the worst people possible. For six years. That will stab stab and kill you any day of the week. Behind shit that you say. So it's important to me what people say to me and what I say to people. Because if I say something disrespectful to you, then I meet. That's with intent. Mm Mm-hmm. Because this is coming from somebody whose mom said, if you're going to kill someone, do it yourself. Do it yourself. By your fucking self. Your mom a, said that to you when you were 10. A, with a revolver. Very detailed. Like, yo, man, you don't need... And, and everybody know, if I get into you, I'm not... I don't call no crew. I, I have one. And each crew is like this. It's the same bill. It's the same premise when I was in prison. Mm. You in prison, you have lions, you have wolves, and you have lamb. Each, even if you a wolf, you still have to still be a lion 
because you will get separated from your pack and you still have to be able to stay on your own. But if you just a wolf and you need your pack, then you can eventually become a lion. You can eventually become a lamb. Hmm. No lions become lambs. You die a lion. So either you're going to kill me or I'm going to kill you. There's no other way. But am I intimidated? By no means. By no means. Because you, <laughs> way more formidable opponents have tried. Mm-hmm. Way more, way more formidable opponents than tried. Like, yo, man. And you beat them to it. It's been a tie sometimes. Oh, you, you kill each other at the same time? Yo, no, nah, we, we have done some very damaging things. Like, like, I'm looking at you, but I can look at you straight. But in this eye right here, I see double every way besides straight. Because another lion damaged me when I was, on, when I was in the free society. Wow. And then I saw that lion in the enclosed society, and then I damaged him. Wow. So the damage don't stop. And I damaged him twice because I damaged him in the free society when I shot him in the stomach in broad daylight. Because he did this, I was 15. When I saw him again, I was 18. So I held it for three years. Then when I saw him in prison, I was 22. So now it's still the same thing. And what'd he do for you? What'd he do to your eye? Exactly. He hit me. My face was turned. This is a dude named Quincy. My face was turned. Quincy, like 6'4, man. He was probably like 100, about two, two something then. Mm -hmm. I was fucking 15 years old, man. I was like five foot, maybe 100 pounds, 10, 110. And he knew I was a formidable opponent then because he stole me. Mm. This dude was huge. Just, it just came home from prisons. And I had never been to prison, I had never even been a juvenile. Oh, until you were 19. Yeah, I'd never been in trouble. You'd gotten out of, or you were just, you were slick with it. Yeah, I was pretty much, a, you know, mm -hmm. street dude, but, you know. But with comedy, man, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard balance because in this world, I never thought comedy was this fucking disrespectful. Mm. And it's, I don't think it's comedy, it's the people. Because Billy, Billy, Billy will say, that with my with my my thing that he thinks that I don't like young comics. I don't like old disrespectful comics, nor do I like young disrespectful comics. And in comedy, it takes a while to understand how the game even go. Because you can't, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't get how people think. Like it's comics out here, social going back to the social media cast. It's cats that think that because you got a million followers up here, you are trick somebody because you got a million followers that you actually funny. Right. Did you buy some of your followers? Because you can do that. You know, at first I think, you, oh, he got a million followers. That's honest. But did you purchase some followers? Did you boost? Did you boost all of your shit? This is some fucking illusion. It's an illusion. So it's like seeing a, a chick on social media and then you see in real life yeah because she took a picture at a good angle that makes her that makes her a real bad chick so because you edited and did all this other fancy fucking movie work to it and put it on social media does that make you a fucking comic because comedy is live 
And what I've noticed in watching you at Uptown this weekend is you you are a dude from the streets. You come from a hard background, but your audience is mixed. You'll Real. see preppy white people in here enjoying your comedy. You know why? It's amazing. Because I actually, I'm, a, I'm an actual speech writer. So mm -hmm. I can write a fucking wonderful speech. So the thing with me is I've learned about Caucasian people in their palettes, their comedy palettes. I'm kind of weird too, though. <laughs> so they kind of find me. It's like, you know, he's a he has a fucking very hard edge to him, but he's a fucking weirdo. Yeah, and he expresses how weird he because I'm I'm like I'm not a prison dude until something triggers me to go there. You know, it's like a fucking serial killer. He might be cool. <laughs> he don't kill for years. And then something triggers him. Then he then you start finding bodies again. It's like, <laughs> I didn't watch enough forensic files. It's like, yo, I was dormant for 12 years. I had no desire to kill. And then I saw pink halter top and <laughs> start, yeah. he started dropping bodies everywhere. So I wish Billy was still in here. If you're gonna if you're gonna not lay dormant, that was a joke. That was a yes, bad that's joke. funny. <laughs> that, um, but like last night, mm -hmm. that's a place that I would literally be found in doing stand up. The one a.m. show. Yeah, yeah. Like right. I would, I would literally. Cause I'm I'm a weirdo. Like that. I'd rather do stand up than anything else. I'd rather be in the first places. The gutter yeah. doesn't matter. The audience. Like I literally get came from. I could have been at a theater last night. Sold out show, theater shit to the roof. And you'd be like, yo, you want to go by this 12, 1 a.m. show? I'm like, yeah. And you're like, he's just fucking near the theater. And he's yeah. like, yeah, still want to go. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, because I stand up is, that's my, that's my happiest place. That's where I'm the most comfortable. And I think that I don't like the fact that. Comics are trying to make comedy like the rap game. I don't want to fucking be in the rap game. I don't. I don't want this. You know, it's a craft. Mm -hmm. You know, and and you and you should. I, the comedy is starting to get like what people is doing this when they ain't got shit else to do. And it's one of these. It's it's the it's the art. It's the one of the fucking most disrespectful, disrespected arts. Like, comics, I don't think that certain comics take this shit with, with, with very, I'm talking about, it's very serious. It's very, um, this is my livelihood. This is my craft. This is what, what I am. It's just like an art, uh, you know, an artist, you know, Van Gogh mm -hmm. or piano is Bach. He, Bach would want some random person playing his music any kind of way. You know, you don't. You don't put a Picasso in a bar. You know what I'm saying? You put it somewhere to be admired. With stand-up, we are the purest, we are the, we are the most underrated and the most needed. It's like, I, I want to change the term to like comedy quack. Like, you know, I'm, 
you a doctor. I go to medical school. I become a doctor. I study medicine. I get engulfed in medicine. And because you can make a good soup, somebody tells you you should be a doctor. Hmm. Because you say something jovial around your friends, everybody tells me, oh, you should be a comic. No, motherfucker, he shouldn't be because you're discrediting what I actually do. You, you just say anybody should do what I do. Because you can boil an egg, does that mean you should be a chef? Fucking no. Because you can get takeout and you can put it on the plate nice, that mean you should be a chef, you should start catering? Comics and people that do, do comedy, any fucking body, man, any person that NeNe Leaks is doing fucking comedy now. Yep. Jake the Snake. Fucking anybody who decides they can say something funny or have some fucking story, now you a comic. And we should not feel any type of way. We should just, oh, you're, you're jovial. You should just be okay with it. Why? Because you're taking a booking out of some comics. Yeah. Do what the fuck you do. Do what you do. So you want to start, okay, I don't play in the NFL no more, so let me start telling funny stories about when I played in the NFL because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm this, so then people go see it. That we, and we deal with audiences that's not even intelligent enough to know when somebody's doing somebody else's fucking material. Yep. How do you feel about you being almost 20 years in the game? Is that yeah, accurate? almost 20. Almost 20 years, and you're just now, you've had, you've had multiple TV credits, there's no reason to run, even reason to run down, but now you, you just filmed a Comedy Central half hour, you've been doing comedy almost 20 years, and now you're kind of like a new comic to a lot of, you're like the new comic, how do you feel about that? Better than being an old comic. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, yeah, like, that's true. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with being a new comic because I'm, a, I'm such a student. Mm. Of this game, and and DL know DL say this, and he'll know this for sure. Because he said, if anybody ever said, I know they got it from you, they heard it from you. Because you, he said, I've been doing comedy way long. You, you was the first person I ever heard say, comics don't retire, we die. Boom, we <sighs> die, and and then he say, hopefully we can do it on stage. So I knew when I got in to stand up, this was a long tedious thing and a social media comic bet not ever decide to go up behind or in front of me because you not equipped son mm -hmm. you you really lightweight not equipped and so even in stand up it's like man I I I, I generally just try to let everybody do what they are. But when it come to me, I know I'm LeBron. I know I'm fucking Magic Johnson. And and that's been the, the holdup with me for all these years. Because I'm Magic Johnson. So you get with a you get with a team that wants you to be a point guard. They just want you to host. But you can headline. You can you can do everything. It doesn't matter what you do. And you can do any audience. So you got black people thinking, oh, well, he not urban enough. What? I'm not what enough? Mm. Oh, because I can go up and do a set without cursing. I can go up and do a set clean. Or I can talk real talk. Real talk, I can go 
political satire. I can go anywhere in the comedy world. I can go. I can go very dark and very weird. Still can do it clean, and can do it clean. So you don't know where to put me because I'm not bitching and hoeing the whole time. And it's not just the content, but your pacing. Like especially, you know, I do both rooms. I'll yeah. do urban and quote mainstream. And like, there's a stereotype in urban. You got to be in their face. You're pacing. I, I've never seen anything like this. And not I've been able to watch you live specifically over this weekend, seeing you at Uptown and at the 1 a.m. show. There is no hurry whatsoever when you get up there. You almost want them to like, you're almost like putting them in a trance almost. On your half hour, you sit, you walk out <laughs> and you sit down in a chair. You, <laughs> you sit, it, it, this, this is, is a comedy central half hour. You go and sit down in a chair and just, what's, hey. up? what's up with the rest of you? Like where, please, I'm a student <laughs> of comedy as well. Please enlighten me on that this, approach. This is the, this is the funniest, <laughs> the funniest thing because I'm looking at your response to it. And this is way after it's already out. And but comedy central, the network's response. It's like, Okay, he didn't say he was gonna do that. Okay, um, okay, a warm up. He did ask for a chair in the warm up. Is he gonna fucking sit down? So I walk out and I said, just walk out. I sit down. Hey, and <laughs> then I then I start, and they in the back like, oh shit, and literally all the execs from Comedy Central up at the top. Wow. And then I start, boom, and they were like. We we saw it on his tape that we vetted. We saw him fucking sit down in because I was in the theater when I when I um in Auburn. Mm-hmm. Big shout out to Auburn Public Theater. Ever get a chance, which you probably will, because you I watched you last night, man. You you you're very good. Thank you. Do the Auburn Public Theater best place in the world for stand up. Wow. Okay. They're listening. They're smart. It's a theater. It's very nice. So I record my, um, they asking me for a tape. Like, okay, we, we want you, but we want to see what you're going to say. They always want to see what you're going to say. So they can vet it, tell you what you can say, you know, and then put it against anybody who may be doing a similar line or something. Mm-hmm. So they do that. So the man is literally seeing that I'm on there sitting down. So I, cause I sent, he's supposed to send a 30 minute, like the, the the 26 minutes that you're going to do or whatever. I send the whole thing. This is about an hour and maybe 45 minutes of me at the theater from beginning to end. I was come out. So they send it back. They're like, okay, but what are you going to do on this special? We watched you sit down for an hour and 45 minutes and the shit was hysterical. But what out these jokes are you going to do? So I started picking stuff. Then the stuff I left out and took out. So when I come out, they thinking I'm really not going to do the special the same way I did my thing. I'm like, nah. Cause I, I sit down and that's my that's my thing. The only reason I haven't really actually been sitting down this whole time at Uptown is because they kept bringing me bad chairs, and so I would sit down and the chair would be lean. I was like, so I'm un- so uncomfortable. I would drag it to the back and then try to keep going around. But the chair thing is very confident for me. It's a very confident thing for me because I don't want to be rushed. I don't want to be. I'm gonna be out here for at least an hour, hour twenty. So I might as well be comfortable. And then it's it's the process is me me learning and taking something each year. So I've been doing stand up 
um this is night this is year 19 and each every five years it was every five years at first then as i got closer to now i started taking every year i pick something and take it and try to master it mm. like it started with mm. um this guy named des white des white when i first started doing stand-up des white would come out and he would just stand in front of the microphone never move just stand there and it was fucking hysterical and i'm like yo that's you gotta be very very funny to do that then paul mooney paul mooney comes out sits right in the stool never moves so i developed that i said because in my mind you gotta be very very funny to do that wow so then after i got that down bill cosby bill cosby sat in that chair the whole time on himself and then i went to see him at, at um a theater and the symphony opened up for him and he came out and sat down and two hours man two hours two hours it, it was like, like that psh, it flies i've it, seen him live too and it was in, it was in, it was insane mm-hmm. so then i said i'm gonna do that and i'm i'm gonna I'm sit down and then once i got the sit down thing down i'm on the road with dl and dl's road manager gary monroe at the sign he said I see you sitting down. You think you bad because you sitting down? If you really cold, just walk out there. No music, no nothing. Just walk out there. And I did. That I'm talking about I just walked out. They didn't even say my name or nothing. I just walked out and people talking, getting their food, and I'm settling in the chair <laughs> and I'm scooting my chair where I want it put the microphone down and I'm just sitting there and I'm I'm just sitting there and people start to settle in and I said whenever y'all ready because I'm ready and then people just started getting themselves in mode and then I was like you know something this shit is powerful man so then I'm I'm having I'm having this this thing in my head that's what I'm gonna do. So I go to this, I go to this college. Go to this college. And I'm literally on the other side of the door where the kids going in, they can't see me. And I hear this dude saying, Oh man, we about to go to this comedy show. This comic better be funny because we gonna we gonna tear his ass up. Like, like he gonna give me some problems on stage. And I'm actually there to explain to them about the importance of voting. That's what this the 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 League of Young Black Voters hired me to explain in detail voting, but from a funny aspect. Mm-hmm. All these kids jammed into this place, and the man say, "You want some music? You want anything?" I said, "Uh, uh-uh. just put a chair out there." He said, "What? <laughs> just put a chair out there." That man looked at me like, "Hey, man, we ain't. This is a college campus, and they rowdy." Right. I walk out. And I sat down, crossed my legs, and I just said, what do y'all want? And they started turning around, huh? What in life do you want outside of this building? Oh, well. I said, nobody ever asked y'all that before? 
And you are the people that's going to be over my social security mm. and mm. my health. And you don't know what you want in life. So therefore, if you don't know what you want, then obviously you don't know what to vote for or who to vote for because you don't know what you want. And voting is about what you want. Not about who you like. Not about none of the rest of that. It's about what do you want in the policy for you. Do you understand that your grandparents live in food deserts? What? If you can't walk 10 to 15 miles to get fresh fruit and vegetables, you live in a food desert, and you're thinking about you with your good, abled-ass body because you're young, but what about your grandmother? So you want your grandmother to be on a goddamn hub around for 15 miles with groceries? And now they're sitting there like, oh, shit. Right. I didn't even think about it like that. Hmm. Yeah. So now, your grandfather got to be on the, the shit, this shit, for 15 miles. He got to walk on the shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For 15 miles? <laughs> and they like, whoa. I end up talking to them kids about three hours. Gosh. About the jovial funniness of knowing what voting is. Knowing about local elections, knowing who they are, knowing who these people are, because the presidency ain't going to affect you about shit. Local. Kids getting an understanding. Because now it's my example of what Billy D. Washington told me. is how you develop in this craft. Because if young comics understand me, the reason why I am like I am, because I've listened to all the old comics that I respect. Mm -hmm. So... Young comics, understand this. When you're talking to me and I'm telling you something, this is where it's coming from, verbatim. I'm telling you verbatim shit out of D.L. Hughley's mouth, out of Patrice O'Neill's mouth, out of Bill Burr's mouth, out of Chappelle's mouth, out of Bill Bellamy's mouth. I'm telling you out their mouth. I'm telling you exactly verbatim what they said to me when I was in times of crisis in stand-up and I called on those individuals and Billy D. Washington and um, Rob Stapleton and these guys mm -hmm. who really gave me some jewels in this game. Did I, did I, did I, did I challenge them on their jewels? They gave them to me because I understand that somebody in this game really don't have to give you nothing because comedy is very selfish, very self-centered. You know what I'm saying? So learning from them and being up under their tutelage, Bruce Bruce, Chris Tucker, just getting game from their mouth. Anything stick out that you'd like to share damn, on here? Man, damn near everything. DL. I called DL. I'll never forget this. I called DL and I said, hey, man, this guy, I did this show with this guy. Now he's doing my actual material. Mm-hmm. And DL said, I'm going to tell you the same thing that Prince told Timberland. <laughs> I, can never, I can never forget this story. Because uh -huh. it's two names that I wouldn't even thought they went together, Prince right. and Timberland. He said, Timberland, and, and people could remember this and know if it's true or not. At the time, Timberland was hot. I'm talking about beats. It's crazy. And a lot of people was imitating Timberland. He calls Prince. This is verbatim from DL. And says, Prince, um, a lot of people out here imitating my sound. And this is what makes the story so hilarious to me. 
because DL tried to do a Prince voice <laughs> on the phone with me. And that was funny. He, he said, and Prince told Timlin, hey, are you that nigga? <laughs> and Timlin said, huh? He said, are you that nigga? <laughs> Timlin said, yeah. Then make a new sound and hung up. Wow. And that was the end of the conversation, too, because DL hung up as well. And so I just write, I just start writing from a different place. Right from a different place. And I'm saying, so, and he he's always told me things like, hey man, you think you ain't gonna lose no skin in this game? He say, in this game in Hollywood, you gonna lose some skin. You gonna maybe sell your soul, but at least keep the fucking receipt so you mm. can return it. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So then you got Billy D. Washington. He said, when you're not being funny on stage, man, at least be interesting. So that's where the, the conversational part of me come from. Yeah. I'm very conversational with the audience because I want to know. And sometimes I can tell just one-sided stories the whole time and never, and never because that's what stand-up is. It's a one-sided conversation. I say you laugh. I say you laugh. I don't need your response because I didn't write that in. I didn't even write your laughter in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't write laughter in, and then I don't write for local. That's a lot. I think a lot of times cats will get caught up in where they are because they don't understand it. the industry not hating on you or some club not hating on you. This club, uh, oh, you, they won't book me at this club. You don't have a product that I can sell because what you want to do is come here and talk about L.A., in Iowa. We don't give a fuck about LA and Iowa. You want to talk about New York? I don't care about New York. I don't have a train here. I'm in South Dakota. I don't have a train. Right. What I have is the commonality between human beings. But if you want to tell me about Atlanta and I'm in Texas, I don't give a shit about Atlanta. I'd rather you tell me about the world. I'd rather you tell me about Korea in Atlanta didn't tell me about Atlanta in Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I go to L.A. and I and L.A. comics come away from L.A. and they always want to fucking say, oh, well, I'm living in L.A. now. So, and... You've done it all from Houston, right? Did it? I did every drop of it from the H. And I was, and I was actually, I, was, I did that because I was so upset that people told me that I couldn't, you had to move to make it, man. That's how I feel. And I was doing it before social media. I felt like that before social media, before the internet and all that mm-hmm. shit, I felt like, yo, man, that I could literally do stand-up and be a hit from where I'm at. Did, every, did, did Do everybody got to go to L.A.? Do everybody got to go to New York? Everybody? How'd you generate a local following? You, um, they local. You, they in town. Yeah. You, it's like, you constantly invite people. Man, I, when I started, and I, I think that was the biggest thing that I hated about Young Comics. Everything social media. When I started, I literally would invite anybody to come see me. Okay. Any and every person, hey, brother, I do stand up. I'm going to be at this spot. If you couldn't make it this time, maybe it's one time you can make it. I'm still going to tell you verbatim out my mouth that I do stand up. That's who I am. And people just kept coming to see me. And that, the reason why they kept coming to see me, they've been seeing me in Houston for 18 years. They can never say that I'm the same. They've watched me grow from... Year one to year 19. 
nor do I say the same jokes, nor am I repeating the same things. I, I have a hard time doing the same set. If I'm doing two shows in the same night, I'm not going to do the same exact set. Is all your writing on stage or are you pen to paper? Pen to stage? paper. Pen to paper off pen stage. Pen to paper. I love to hear that. Pen to goddamn paper. So if you could, um, and I, this will be my final question. I just had to ask you this because you are one of, if not these, top storyteller in this game, man. It really has been a treat to watch it live and in person. I would love for you just to break down maybe storytelling from just a master like you. I mean... And and that's and that's the thing. People have been saying this lately. They're like, yo, man, you are a phenomenal storyteller. Mm -hmm. And at first I didn't know how to take that. I'm like, uh, are you saying I'm lying? <laughs> right, <laughs> that's what I would be like. You're the new comic, and, remember? Yeah, <laughs> but I'm a new joint. So <laughs> the so it's like your your joke. You live in a gated community now as well, which is hilarious. Which is freaking hilarious. So you have a story about the like the neighborhood coming to drop you off baked goods, and you call the police and all this. So maybe even break down how you develop that into a story from paper to stage. This is this is what actually this is how that story actually took place. Okay. So I'm literally living in this. I moved in this gated community, and you you go in. It's like. I just, and I'm like, yo, I haven't seen any other black people over here. <laughs> and my girl, she was like, I know, right? And I'm like, why the hell? Okay, how did we find this? And she's like, it was on the brochure. <laughs> and so she showed me the brochure, and the brochure got everybody on there, literally. Like, literally doing all type of shit. You flipping through the brochure, it's all type of people doing random different shit that they would be doing. Uh-huh. But it's none of them. Oh, it's like all, completely all white people. So, right. And then I'm coming home one day and the they didn't let me in the gate. And the lady's like, do you live over here? I'm like, um, the only one. <laughs> That's all I said. I'm like, the only one. Mm -hmm. Ma'am, it should be so easy for me to get in this gate because I am the only one. And if you see another black person come in this thing, they're probably with me. They probably know me. Then so then I start, you know, something. I am the only black person over here. So I just wrote the top down. Wow. Only black person in my neighborhood. Okay. It's gated. They didn't let me in the gate. Do they think people can't jump this gate? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just writing down things that I'm thinking that they, okay. I'm like, why they don't lock these stuff up? And then I'm like, mm. this is weird. Then I start, oh. Okay. Um, did this lady just ask me that I want some trail mix? Yeah. And I'm piecing it together and I'm looking at it. And I said, that's crazy. I live in a gated community with all these people, and I know they're gonna change. And this is my little thought. I, I, I know they're gonna change me. I know it. I know they're gonna change me. I know shit about me that I like. I know they're gonna fuck with it. I know it. Because <laughs> so, I was saying they are so inviting, and then I would get up in the morning, and literally everybody's walking around the fucking neighborhood, wow. just walking. Uh -huh. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going out there. I'm not doing it. It's, it's too early. It's too pleasant. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so I go pleasant. out there and I'm like, 
what y'all doing? <laughs> and I'm seeing just, and then I just start looking at where I live. And every day I would just come in, I'd just find something else about this. I'm like, this is crazy. Mm. So then I was on stage one night, and I'm like, I know eventually people are gonna find out where I live at. And I don't want y'all to judge me because I live in a gated community and I'm the only black person over there. And I said, I know, I know. But they tricked me <laughs> because the brochure was very multicultural. <laughs> right. Right, right, <laughs> so, right, yeah. so then I'm just start piecing it together. Wow. And then the the guy knocked on my door with some other people. It was like maybe like six people mm-hmm. with this welcome basket, welcome to the neighborhood shit. And I was in there because I was high. I'm smoking. And I'm like, I wonder what they want. <laughs> I said, I wonder, can they smell this weed? I don't, I'm not going out there. And then it's like, well, we're going to just leave your basket and your stuff at the door. We don't know if you're busy or not. Why would they be doing that? Why would somebody, why would somebody just holler through your door? Now, crack the door. What's happening? Hmm. Oh, we have the welcome committee. And I'm like, this shit is crazy. I've been in the hood all my life. Nobody's ever fucking welcomed me to the neighborhood. So it's just the, the putting it and seeing it and piecing it together and being able to tell it very fluid mm. from beginning to end with no real point. It's no punchline. Yeah. It's no... I don't, I'm not writing punchlines in it. I'm telling the story first. And then I start thinking about the parts that could be funny. But as I'm telling the story, I'm telling the dry story, and it goes back to when you're not being funny, be interesting. Mm-hmm. Because whatever you say that's interesting eventually turn funny because you jovial anyway. So I'm telling the story. And then it gets to these pieces of where people be like, oh shit. And then you listen, you looking at the audience and you seeing them like, yeah, they're leaning in. So damn. So, and then the the only part of the whole story, which is the part that's the weakest, the weakest part of this whole story is very weak because I don't do it all the time because I'm not, I don't trust it, is the part where I start saying, um, Cause this is when it becomes jokey to me. Like when you start seeing people outside your door, you start hallucinating. And I'm like, I know for some reason I was seeing shit that wasn't there. I saw a burning cross. I just saw white mm-hmm. people with a pitchfork. And then um, I'm I'm thinking in my mind they 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 calling me to come out, and I'm trying to find my my gun, and I got three bullets, and I'm sitting up against the thing, and I'm saying. Why do you ain't gonna take me out of here like that? <laughs> and it's it's the weakest part of it mm-hmm. because it's the joke part. The rest of it is the actual story, mm-hmm. which is good. And then I try to add the joke shit to it. And then he's like, no. So I never tell that story. I tell the story about when I came home late at night. And I say, you always, when you sleepy, just go to sleep. Don't try to do shit. Because I'm in my house and I put on, I want some tuna fish for some strange reason at four, four o'clock in the morning. I put on some eggs, put some boiled eggs on, put them on my tuna fish, and I'm watching Sports Center. 
And I said, I'm fucking dead sleep by the second dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, yeah. <laughs> I'm done. But I got guns all over my house just in case somebody break in and I don't want to be vulnerable nowhere. And remember, I'm asleep. And I left them eggs on. Mm. And it, most people know when eggs, the water boil all the way down, the eggs pop. They start popping. <laughs> pop. It sounds just like that. Pop. So I'm fucking disillusioned. I'm thinking somebody's shooting at me. So I didn't drop down off the couch and I grabbed my 38 <laughs> from up under the bed. Mm-hmm. And my mom's in the guest room and she comes out, what's going on? And I hear, pa. I say, go back. Mama, they shooting in here. These motherfuckers, wow. <laughs> You're excited though. You're like, finally. <laughs> so then Nostalgia. I said to myself, because I'm, I'm in this, it's funny how you can be intoxicated in sleep mm-hmm. you get up and you you ever you ever been late for work but you really not late because you you running out the house you in the car you going and you realize it's fucking saturday yeah and you didn't did all you didn't got dressed you in a vehicle you're mobile and you literally still drunk unconscious and you like i'm gonna be late i'm gonna be late i'm gonna be late it's saturday damn <laughs> so with storytelling, you start from the beginning and you be as intricate as possible. You tell the very smallest, minute points because that's what makes the story authentic. Mm. Because you, you, like when somebody, like I fucking hate Orange is the New Black because I know it's not. One, I hate the fucking name. That's racist as shit. You know what I'm saying? Why would Orange be the New Black? Tell me why. How it orange? Are you trying to say black people are fucking locked up? What are you trying to say? But I digress. Mm-hmm. But the way I hated Oz and I hated Orange New Black equally because I know it does not go like that. And I'm sitting like, who's telling these fictitious ass stories? So you grew your nails long and you slashed somebody in their face. <laughs> like, stop. So with your stories, you try to just use as many details as possible. Is that where the did, did um did I do did I do prison intake? Did I do the intake story? Because I know I'm doing that on my special, so I know I'm working it. I don't think so. Um, you might by being naked, toe, heel to toe. No, I didn't hear that one. Oh, so heel to toe is is, is something that's gonna be on my special. That's filmed out of prison, by the way. It's, we're gonna film it out of prison. We try to get this clearance. Um, so if anybody know anybody um, in Texas who knows anything about prisons, yeah. we're trying to get one so bad. For Comedy Central, which the turnaround is quite fast. You do a half hour this year, and then the next year you have an hour. That's that's a pretty fast turnaround. I don't know if many people jump that quick. I, I've been hearing that. I've I've really been hearing that, but I, I'm I'm very very ready for you are yeah, for, you're the new comic yeah. i'm the new comic so you're new, the new, new comic you, when you when you're new you should have a ton of material yeah. <laughs> so that that aspect of it they intrigue because they know that i'm saying it's other people that have been to prison that, that look and be like yeah that should happen mm-hmm. because he he actually knows like he he knows knows like it's not like it's not like the the separate thing is like I won't, I don't want people to think that like I'm like any other person that tells or a prison story like oh uh, like 
you like, well, Kevin's told that story about his uncle being in jail. Different shit. Women tell a story about um, having a boyfriend. He locked up and he got all the. They're telling. They're telling very general shit. Right. Right. You know, you keep their room nice and tidy and all that. That's very general shit. Anybody fucking watched any prison show knows that. But how do I get from point A to point B? What my cell look like? What else would I do to my cell? You know, wh- what would I actually do? How's my cell set up? What's the what's the what's the social dynamics of this place? What's the social dynamics? Everybody like your you know your uncle you know this fight da, da, da. it's not really. I tell stories about places where I came from a unit where people were fighting, and then somebody told me, "Hey man, we don't do that over here. We only kill. Mm. We don't fight. We only kill." And this that's a that's a real conversation. Then somebody telling you in intake, "Hey man, get you a knife and where to go get it from and how to get it." And somebody telling you what it's going to be made from and how you going to make it and all of this real technical shit that you cannot possibly know unless you're there. Yeah, like CC. CC. Get it from CC. I didn't C- hear that. Yeah. CC was came there in 1974. Wow. With 4 years. I met CC in 1994. <laughs> really he came in 79 with 4 years and, he, and he, I met him in 94. Wow. Let me turn my nah, alarm off, but we good. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, you're good. We'll we'll wrap it up here. That's Yeah, I don't want to hog your sleep here, so we'll we'll wrap it up, man. But thank you so much for your time and doing this and sharing all that wisdom. I'm so happy for the success you've been having. Um, I did ask Billy about a boo story. Do you have a quick boo story nah. from your failure? People are always just scared of you. And no, actually, actually, I'm very prepared. So I I I've in my and which is. I don't, I don't even say no knock on wood shit. Mm. I've never been booed. And every time, like, man, everybody been booed. No, not really. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not even in the beginning. You know, I don't even count. I don't even count the beginning because it was so fucking sketchy. It, 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 okay, well, I, I, I claim that one then. If they say, well, you've been booed, everybody been booed. I don't know if this counts or not, but I was started at this place called Just Joking Comedy Cafe, um, and they had Apollo Night, all college kids. First time ever going on stage. But the difference is, when you go Just Joking, they encourage booing people. Right, right. And it's not just comics. It's rappers, poets. It's everybody going up. So this day... Nobody was getting booed, and the the host felt like the audience was letting people make it. <laughs> His name is Terry Gross, comic. Okay. So, college kids, I'm green, and this is what got my observational skills to be better. I have on a suit at a college night. Dreads? No, no ball, dreads. Ball head. Just, just, okay. just. <laughs> no, I just came home, so I, I didn't have locks. I had okay. ball head. So. Go on stage, and this is how the man says before. This is before I go on stage. Y'all in here bullshitting tonight. Somebody gonna get booed. You know I'm saying I don't know who it is, but somebody y'all in here bullshit. All right, don't boo nobody, and let me watch me talk about y'all ass coming to the stage. Somebody think they're a goddamn comic. Give it up for Ali. Wow. 
I walk on stage and literally, hey, how y'all doing? Boo! <laughs> As I'm getting booed, mm -hmm. earthquake is walking in. Literally. Uh -huh. And in my mind, I, I, I developed this phobia Every time I saw earthquake, it's uh -huh. like something was happening with me on stage. Right. So then the next time I see him, I'm in another club and I'm fucking arguing with this dude. I'm killing this dude decided to say he drunk. Man, how long you gonna be? I said, shut your drunk ass up. It was everybody else having a good time. Well, goddamn, I'm trying to dance. We in a dance club. Right. Earthquake walks in and I'm arguing with this dude. I'm like, yo, man. Stop fucking coming places where I'm at, man. Because you are fucking, he say, every time I see you, I'm doing, I'm going through something. So that's my only time, man, mm -hmm. to, to finish up with Terry. Not only did they boo me, he did this thing where he used to dive on the stage like a missile. Wow. Oh, he missile launched me. <laughs> so, boom. Let me tell you the curse of that. Terry has hated me my whole entire career. I got booed with him the first time I ever went on stage. I waited two weeks. I came back to the same club, jeans, sneakers on. I didn't write comedy down on the thing. I just wrote my name. Mm. Came and I killed. Came back next week. I killed. I came back the next week. Every Apollo night, I would only show up to just joking on Apollo night. And I killed. So it's a month of me killing now. And now when I walk in, everybody's wondering, hey, man, you going up there? So then the owner, Alice, comes to the club. My best friend says, hey, the owner's here. No pressure. She said, if you kill tonight, she going to put you up on the weekend. And I'm literally about to walk on stage. You need somebody no fucking pressure. And I'm like, I go up, I fucking killed. She come, I come off stage and she said, hey, what do you think about being the co-host on Apollo night? Wow. And I said, yes. I was the host, I was the top host at that club for about a year and a half. And Terry was the co-host. And he fucking hated me because we had to share the same stage. And we would come on stage after each other. And it was so bad that the club started to separate itself by audience. If you was if you was down with Terry and you was cool with Terry and Terry was your guy, you sat on this side of the room. If you was down with Ali, it, we had two different DJs. We had two on the same stage. You sit on this side. People would literally sit lap to lap just wow. to be on my side. Wow. Then my girlfriend at the time, this chick named Lamisha Lachelle, she lives in Dallas, and she and she <laughs> and she say this story to anybody. She commandeered the back part of the bar on Terry's side. So all of her girls from U of H would sit on that side. So it would seem like Terry's audience was surrounded. Like, they were like, when I come to the say I came out to DMX, Terry came up to some other shit. My DJ was DJ LaRose. He's in Vegas now, a DJ. His DJ was DJ Red. Red is in Houston. Wow. So we literally sharing the same stage, two different audiences, but we both hosting Apollo night. You would come up. I would bring you up as a comic. You know what I'm saying? 
the people who wasn't gonna get booed, I would bring up. <laughs> Everybody who people was going boo and rappers and shit like that, Terry would bring up. And I'm like, because comics, I would I wouldn't set you up like that. I'm saying, but Terry, right. he throw your ass under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> and I hated him for that. <laughs> and for this to this day, Terry is one type of comic, and I'm another type of comic. And he started before me, and he and he was a king of Houston until I until I came and people run down our TV, our credits and everything. Terry been on Comic View one time, 2003. That was it. And I tell all young comics, do not take that example of what a stand-up is. Because the shit that he used to say to me, oh, man, we, you know, let's go kill the headliner. Like, fuck the headliner show up. It's hosting feature. Let's go, let's go kill the headliner. Does that make them book you? Mm. So you want people to be saying, oh, you know, you was better than the headliner. But them same people won't come back and see you by yourself. Because the headliner, hey, there's a reason why he's the headliner. There's a reason he got something that he has. And any feature, the only thing, the only person that can challenge a headliner is really the host. You have to be a fun, to be a good, a, a great host can headline. Know why? Because as a host, you walk out to a cold room every night. Yep. A feature, you can be a stellar feature. That doesn't mean you can be a headliner because you in the sweet spot. Yeah, the waves are moving. Already going. Just ride it. Everything, you know, you going in, just doing your little pot and you and you off. And that's 20 minutes. I'm doing an hour plus. So I don't think people understand headliners have a show. You put asses in the seats. And like what Billy was saying and I'm going to leave on this one because mm-hmm. I, I, it was something that popped in my head. I wanted to say this. The quality of material versus social media guys versus actual stand-up. The problem is that I spend my actual time writing it, preparing it. You spend a lot of time editing it, writing it, producing it, redoing it, doing it. Retake this, that, and the third. Mm-hmm. So you put a lot of effort into that social media, and you post it, and you do that. Hey, the work, beautiful. But what you're saying that you are is you're working different. You, the greatest comics in the, the the most successful comics in the world. Ask them how much editing do they do to a clip. Ask them how much time they spend writing a sketch. I ask them how many takes they do to get something on social media. It's a lot. It's a lot that goes in. Even yeah. with this podcast, this is a lot. And even though a podcast is simpler mm-hmm. than doing sketches on, that, it's very simple. This is more ingenious. This is more effective. This is more sustaining. This has more nutrients in it than your bullshit ass skit that every fucking cookie cutter it's the same fucking setup. Write the shit at the top or write it at the bottom. Get some other people. Is this, uh, what the fuck is this? You're doing a production to put on a skit, 
but then your fucking show that I pay money to is shit. And but you call yourself the same thing as me. Mm-hmm. You a comic, and I'm a comic. How so? Based on the words, based on the actions. The stage. Do you get funnier without the stage? Got to be on the stage. How many skits can I do in this room? We can write a hundred skits in this room. Does that, man, and, and I'm leaving with this because I've seen this with my own eyes. I've heard this with my own ears. A sketch comic, a comic that's on social media, got fucking millions of followers. I seen him come to a club that I was hosting and a dude say just like this. Come on, man, just do one of your sketches, man. Shit. <laughs> Boom. Ali Sadiq, thanks for being on Hot Breath, my man. <laughs> I'll tell you how bad that was. All right, Hot breath verse. A lot of good info in there. If you found anything in this interview insightful, entertaining, funny... Reach out to Ali, let him know you heard him on Hot Breath and that you loved it. That is how we keep building what we call here the Hot breath verse. Is my guest knowing, hey, if I go on that show, I'm going to find new fans. I'm going to connect with new comics. I'm going to be helping a lot of people. That's what this whole show is all about. So if this is your first time listening, thank you so much for hanging out. Seriously, we have over almost 100, no, 200 episodes for you to go back and check out with some of comedy's top players in this game so you can also check it all out all podcast platforms but also youtube and also hotbreathpodcast.com if you want to support the show there's a donate button on the website you can just drop a couple bucks in there no donation is too small this has been a free show for over four years now so if you appreciate all the work that goes into it we would appreciate you just showing a little bit in return and by we i mean this is a one-man band in terms of the production side so that definitely helps keep my wife happy um, but we as the hot breath of verse have been building this together and it's because you've been sharing it it's because you've been reaching out to me letting me know what you like so i can do more of it i'm even thinking about doing like a Q&A episode about my comedy special and preparing for it and how I kind of did it myself. And I want to do this special really to inspire other comics to do the same and to really, even if it's not to film a special, I mean, just to get out there and be more ambitious. So if that's something you'd be interested in, like the live Q&A about that, connect with me. All social media is Hot Breath Pod and at Joel Byers Comedy. If you want to see my schedule personally or book me personally, joelbyerscomedy.com is the website. We do have a secret Facebook group as well. If you go on Facebook, search Hot Breath Comedy Network. There's almost 200 members now from all over the world connecting and talking and learning about comedy together. So we'd love to have you join us in there and get in on the discussion. But other than that, Hey, if you're in the southeast in the Atlanta area or you want to pull up on a kid, September 15th, I'm taping my first ever comedy special. And uh, that weekend, leading up the 13th and 14th, Greenville, South Carolina, I'm headed your way at the Comedy Zone to work out the final touches on the set. I would love to connect with you. I'm there for two days. Let's meet up.
let's connect. So you can tell a big theme with this show is just connection and just interaction. And I want to keep encouraging that because when you do reach out, I do respond. And when you reach out to the guests, they do respond. And it really does go a long way. So if you enjoyed this, if you enjoy Ali, go vote for him to win NBC's Bring the Funny. And let's get out of here. I love y'all so much. Oh, and by the way, if you don't want to just donate to the show, there is a link for merch on there as well. So, you know, you can rock some hot breath gear in the meantime as well. Support the culture. Hashtag. All that being said, as y'all know, you loyal listeners, I end all these hot breath episodes by thanking my wife, Aaron Byers, for making the theme song. And now, we are out of here. Until next Monday, right here on Hot Breath. Oh, thank you, sir. Man, pleasure's all mine, man. I'm glad, and I appreciate it. I wasn't sure if you saw me perform last night or not. Yeah, so man, I sit in the back. I, cause I, I, don't, I didn't want to be right there on the stage. Right. On the side. So I went to the back, and I'm sitting in the back looking at it from the, from the back. Uh-huh. Man, you said some shit that was so I you you I don't think you heard that. Ha! Because <laughs> you said, um, Chinese don't build a wall. We build great wall. Right, right. I'm in the back like, what the fuck is wrong with y'all? <laughs> y'all not here to fucking great wall to China shit. <laughs> I'm in the back. I said, ha! Man, great was it, it was it was, you you had a good set, man. I said in the back and I was like, yeah, that is this money. Appreciate that, man. And Ronnie Ronnie Jordan Ronnie Jordan um piece. That's always a good. That's always a good. Hot breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.